conversations from the front lines of marketing. This is B2B Growth. I'm here with Ellen Schwartz, and she's the senior director over at Notch of Digital Demand Generation. Ellen, welcome into B2B Growth. Thanks for stopping by. Hey, Benji. It's awesome to be here. Yes. So I want to point out something right from the get-go because it's a tension that if people are paying attention on LinkedIn, they're definitely feeling at this point. It feels like there's two simultaneous conversations happening and a little bit of an inability to know where exactly or how exactly do you do both of these things at the same time. So the first would be that there is a huge push towards podcasts, towards video, towards media brands. That's something we here at B2B Growth have been talking a ton about. I'm excited to see people really getting into this and and having that conversation. While that's happening though, Ellen, there's this other conversation also very valid, also very needed, that we got to tie all of our marketing to revenue, that we need to be data-driven. And so you see these two things, and in some ways, they can feel like two different stratospheres. I want to know right from the get-go and really jump into this conversation, how are you experiencing that tension? Have you felt that happening? Do you see those two conversations and see them potentially being in conflict, like, let's jump in and and start there. So it's the, uh, I call it the dreaded marketing question is the, is it working question, which for marketing, a lot of people, a lot of us have creative backgrounds. Very rarely when you start into marketing, is it that you are used to crunching numbers, right? But that's definitely changing. Like the, uh, the titles of demand gen and growth, all of those people are people who are really good at tying their work to data, right? So I've absolutely felt this. I've been in demand gen for several years at this point, which really plays, for me, at least plays in the middle of the funnel, so to speak. So I've been producing webinars and writing emails, and now I am hosting our own podcast, right? So you're right that it feels like you can't tie that to revenue and that people are really asking you to do that. So, I mean, I had a point at one one previous company, which is years and years and years ago, that question kept coming up in social media to where it's like, I couldn't get the budget for paid ads because I wasn't truly like saying this ad is going to like bring in a deal. There was that much of a jump from top of funnel to expecting bottom of funnel to where I just stopped running ads because I was so tired of asking for that budget. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely something that I felt. Yeah. I know this is a topic also that you guys are thinking through as you host your own podcast, right? Pros and content. And this past season, doing some of that exploration around some of this, especially because there's a lot of top of funnel and then bottom of funnel conversations. And then what's all happening in the middle becomes this blur. So what have you guys been talking about on the podcast? Because I think that's where we ultimately want to go together today. Yeah. So the podcast is called Pros and Content, where I talk to pros about the content. It's very witty, very funny. I like it a lot. But yeah, so not just product. And then my role specifically really helps people understand, like, I need to know what's going on in the middle of my journey. How are things truly moving from one stage to the next? Like you said, we have data for the top of the funnel and we have data for the bottom of the funnel, which means we've started optimizing on those but leaving out a lot of the middle steps because the data and the metrics are really hard to do or it's really manual. So I, yeah, I got to talk to last season, there were about a dozen marketers who I just, 
I ran into you on LinkedIn or some of them are our customers or we were talking to them and decided that you really know your stuff. So I really want to talk to you a bit more and like marketer to marketer about it. So yeah, we, we sat down and we talked about it. I definitely had some good guests. We focused on the whole journey across those 12-ish episodes. So anything from setting up your demand gen program to the deep dive of the demo data that you need to understand. Are your demos converting? Is it the right people? And then wrapped up with a couple of awesome guests who um, are a little bit more senior, who are really helping their entire team to... I was going to say funnel the efficacy and then I realized we're talking about funnel. So let's <laughs> really streamline what's going on to really understand how everything ties from one bit to down and down and down and down to that revenue. So it was really, really cool, really awesome to kind of get nerdy with a lot of other marketers. So I've, I've really enjoyed it. What I like about this is then now that you've had all these conversations, essentially for the B2B growth audience today, you guys are just getting to get some curated sort of creative things that you can implement and be thinking through. And so what I thought would be fun is just what are four creative ways that we can tie marketing to revenue and let's just go for it and give away these four. So Ellen, let's let's just start with one of your top creative ways to tie marketing to revenue. What would you start us with? Yeah, definitely. So and I will just like toss out there. These are all available. You can go listen to these all came from episodes and conversations I have with people. So I'll try to remember to say which episodes they were before we dive into what they are. So the first one that I like to start with is just to know your baseline metrics so that you can really compare apples to apples and whatever that means. So this came from an awesome conversation uh, with a guy named Blake Strozik. He's over at Transfix. He's been in demand gen. Uh, he's got Refine Labs in his alumni status there. So definitely a dude who's focused on demand gen. But then it was really good for me to hear this as someone who's been in demand gen for a while. Because again, I don't know that we've had really good stats to rely on in our roles, um, especially when it comes to that middle of the funnel. So he's really good about just talking about what it is for that whole thing you need to be aware of when you're setting up your demand gen program. So that idea that you need to find the baseline metrics was... Something that I thought was really important when it comes to later proving the value that your programs have brought. So it kind of depends on where you sit in the funnel, in the demand gen funnel. If you're super top, then this could look like it could look like your vanity metrics, which I don't love that topic. Like I don't love that phrase of vanity metrics. I think all data is useful as long as you know how to how to use it. But it could just be like, how do you provide that content? You have to know what your numbers are to so that they've moved basically later on. What are there a specific sort of baseline metrics that you would want to use for, for comparison, things that you found to be most helpful? Yeah, so some of those are going to sound really familiar to marketers. So what is your click-through rate on your ad? What is your conversion rate on a demo form? Knowing what those are. But then if you can get a little bit further and kind of more tied to the holistic view of things, it's going to be something like, how many opportunities did your marketing efforts create last year or in a certain month? In your best month, what was it? In your worst month, what was it? And then also the, the idea of your pipeline velocity or even your customer acquisition velocity. How long does it take someone to get from their very first touch to conversion and then from that conversion to becoming a customer? Hmm. I think one of the interesting pieces is in a perfect world, we could just 
measure everything <laughs> and we wouldn't have to do it manually or we wouldn't, the dashboards would just, we'd think it up and there they'd be on our screen. So the complexity of it maybe keeps some marketers from going heavy into it. What are other things people are essentially overlooking or are there ways that we're getting this wrong, things we're avoiding? I think what you just said is the biggest thing. All of these metrics that I just named are they're available. The numbers are there in the ether, if you will, but they are so difficult to pull together manually. So that's why people fell back on the vanity metrics because they were available. And again, like those, the vanity metrics are never something that is super like unuseful. You have to really add the context to it though. So if you do get tons of impressions, say, Hey, it's impressions that were the right people or whatever that might be. So I don't want to say that people are getting it wrong. I think it's just that a lot of people don't do it because it takes up a lot of time. It's something that's really, really hard to prioritize. The other thing too, is that if you are introducing a new metric, you have to really describe why you're using that to your internal teams. So finding a way to connect it to their work in their own words and give them the confidence that you have in that new metric or whatever it might be. So that. That's, I think, maybe that might be one piece that people do actually get wrong in my view is that you, you're you really excited about the metrics that you are using, but you haven't explained them to your internal teams. So much of marketing is that internal communications piece that you have to really, that has to be part of anything you start to measure. That actually sort of touches on, we did original research and talked to a hundred marketers and the biggest issue that we identified looking at that data was a lack of focus. That comes into how we communicate internally, or we track things for a season and then the metrics change or campaign to campaign. We don't have some of these baseline comparisons and that lack of focus was just accentuated in what you said. There's things that just get lost. Yeah. And I think, I think I've kind of maybe said this already. I can't remember now, but you know, marketers aren't necessarily numbers people. It's hard for me as a marketer to really want to dive into a spreadsheet because I come from a, you know, more of a jack of all trades background. I like the creative side more than I like the the datas and the spreadsheets and the whatevers, but it's really important anymore. Like you have to, as a marketer, understand that those are the questions that are going to be coming to you as people make budget decisions or as people just even want to understand how to make it, you know, maybe your budget doesn't change, but you still need to do more, right? Like there's just a lot of these scenarios where a marketer is going to be asked to prove, not with your gut, but with data, what's working. Okay. So then that actually does touch on the last question I have on this one, because you could track a bunch of potentially good metrics. Same same thing you were saying about the vanity metrics, right? There is actually a story you could tell with those metrics that could be beneficial. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to tell that story. Same thing with, you could have the perfect dashboards that are the marketer's dream in a sense, but how we analyze it and how we then apply it to drive business results, that's where things actually change or don't change. It's it's in the interpretation of the data and we can get that wrong. So I wonder before we move on, any tips to get that right and make sure that we're interpreting the data correctly? Yeah. So my tongue-in-cheek answer is just going to be... That's my next tip is to make friends with your marketing ops people. But like a real answer to that is that you just have to do it. You have to get in there. You have to know what your numbers are, your dashboards. 
a big part for me, at least about analyzing and interpreting this data is that it isn't black and white. You have to be there as the human who interprets things. The way that you bring these numbers to people matters. So when it comes to like a tip or a tool or whatever it is, it's like, you just kind of have to get in there and you have to, you have to really start to live and breathe those metrics. You have to understand that you're going to be asked to answer to them. So you can present really great impressions, but if the next person says, okay, so what? That's the question that you kind of need to always be ready to answer. And that's where some of the metrics have just gotten the bad rap because you haven't ever asked that question. Your job was social media. So I got impressions. The end. Yep. And we're not in a situation anymore where that's a good enough answer. B2B brands are on a hamster wheel trying to create more and more awareness. They're putting so much work into creating awareness and not nearly enough work into making sure that the content they're putting out is actually good. You can pay to build awareness. Brands do that all the time. But does the content resonate? The question should be, how do we create content that builds affinity? And that's where Sweetfish comes in. We're here to help you build your market's favorite show, not just another show. Learn more at sweetfishmedia.com. So first tip, creative way that we can tie our marketing back to revenue is to find baseline metrics and start to compare those, right? Apples to apples. All right. Second tip here, and you just alluded to it, is to make friends with marketing ops and admins. Why do you see that this is so crucial? So for me, it's crucial for what I just said to where it's like, I don't naturally lean towards these metrics, towards these numbers, towards dashboards, but they do. Like they're going to be in that role because their job will be to really educate the entire organization about what is working from a data standpoint. Part of it's going to be they're also supposed to be the expert on the stack that you have, the marketing stack. So they're just going to know a little bit more about what you even have to work with. So this came out of a conversation with Camille Trent, who formerly at Dooley, now she's at Pure Signal as marketer number one. So good luck, Camille. You have to do this <laughs> yourself now. Um, but it was just something that I love this about any piece of recommendation where the answer is a bit to just reach across the aisle and to admit what you don't know. But it's also playing into that idea that you need to be answering that. So what? So wherever it is that you sit in the customer acquisition journey, or even in customer marketing, whatever that is, you can start to ask for the data that answers the question, what happened next? So I brought in impressions. Did they turn into whatever you should be turning them into? Whatever that might be. So it's just a good way to sit down and say, we need to start tying all of these steps together without it being something that you feel like you have to do in a silo. Yep. These conversations are so important. I do think it's funny in Camille's situation. We actually just did an echo chamber episode about one of her LinkedIn posts because peer signal and some of the work she's doing is so it's, it's all content now, right? It's very much this media play. And she was saying now she's not judged by the same metrics that she used to be because of the fact that they're moving so heavy into media, which is just this really interesting situation. But She's going to be on the show too. So we are big fans of, of Camille. I like this. 
you don't have to sell me on the importance of these types of relationships by any means. I wonder if there's any specific questions you think we should be asking in order to ensure success because where most marketers and, and this conversation has typically gone is, you know, make sure marketing and sales are talking to each other. And then I think that's honestly, if you think of the evolution, out popped revenue teams. And then now people are like, okay, we are so sick of the marketing and sales alignment. We get it. You have to tie marketing to revenue. Who else isn't marketing talking to? Oh, they're not talking to (laughs) maybe ops people, maybe admins. So I just wonder if there's some specific questions we can be asking to, to ensure that success. Sure. So I think what I'll point out too about even the way you just described that is it sounded a lot about like marketing going somewhere and talking about what they're doing. And the way that this is going to be way more effective is if it's a two-way street. Yep. So I would say one of the first questions I would ask is to your rep team, what metrics are you held to? Don't like don't think about marketing about when you're answering this question. Tell me what it is, what are your numbers? Because they will have nothing to do with marketing. Mm-hmm. But marketing is still expected to influence those numbers, if it's pipeline, if it's leads, whatever that might be. So it's a bit of understanding who you're talking. And if that's ops, if that's your dev team, like if you're influencing product, whatever it might be, you have to think of them first if you're going to really solidify that relationship. So that'd be one thing that I'd say to start with is if they're tied to revenue, don't bring them impressions, right? Like, or if you do have the rest of that answer ready to go. But like, I just imagine going to someone who's carrying a quota at the end of the quarter and saying like, I brought in 200 leads. And they're like, cool, I'm going to go sell things now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not, not quite the same. So understanding that would be one thing. And then the other question I think that I'd start with, which I've kind of hit on a little bit, is just trying to answer the next step. So if you own demos, your next question should be, of the people who filled out my demo form, how many turned into a meeting? How many people wanted to talk to us next? Or if you're someone who, like an SDR, which are, I should say, our SDRs sit on our marketing team. So that's why it's in my brain. Also great to get Revan Marketing Aligned. Yeah. So an SDR is going to be responsible for bringing in a IPM in our case. And so of those, how many turn into an opportunity? And if you really want to be aces, how many turned into a client? Like how many turned into customers? So again, it's like you can take it piece by piece. Don't feel like you have to start at step one and get to step 11 immediately. You need to fill in steps two and through 10. Yeah. And on that too, the questions that they're asking in those meetings, the what they did it weren't informed on, obviously all of that starts to then fill in the color for your marketing and what you can do to make the, those conversions better. So yeah, I think I never feel as stupid, frankly, as when Someone has been asked a question, like I'm in a meeting and someone has asked a question. And I'm just like, oh, that's this. Oh boy, they didn't answer that very well. And then the question comes to me and it's just like, oh, I can't answer it very well either. Yeah. So it's like, just because, like, kind of start to listen around. People are talking about what matters to them. That's good. Make friends with marketing ops and admins. Thanks, Camille, for that one. What's number three, Ellen? So, number three, this one came from Karina Owens. She's at Gong, she's running their ABM program. Um, I put this one in here because it is such a duh kind of statement, but also not one that I was doing, which is if you are running any kind of testing or implementing a new program, keep a control group. From a statistics point of view, what that helps you show is your program is or isn't having an impact. So keep, if you're going to implement ABM, keep 10 or so accounts 
that you would have wanted in the ABM program and hold them back. So they get the normal marketing and your other 90 or whatever your number is gets ABM marketing and compare the results after, you know, for ABM, for example, it should probably be like a six to nine month, whatever that might be. And then you can, you know, rinse and repeat for whatever it is that you are trying to test. So I love a good A-B test on my marketing emails. What I hadn't been doing, like for the subject lines, I should say. Um, and what I hadn't been doing is trying to just send a normal one out every time to see if my little witty headlines with my emojis and my things that I think are funny perform like better against like, I'm going to test this subject line with an emoji and without an emoji. And then I should have had a third one that was just, here is a standard subject line to send to a group of people. So it's kind of just good data hygiene ultimately, but one that I don't know that a lot of people think of. I am definitely guilty of not doing this. It made me instantly think of seventh grade science, <laughs> honestly. And just this would be such an elementary thing that was taught to you because then you can prove out what change you saw. But yes. I really like that. And I'm glad you brought up ABM because we're definitely seeing a rise in conversation around ABM is marketing budgets maybe shrink or just hold for 2023 as we're looking at the economy and not un, a bit unsure on what the rest of this year looks like. So in that case too, this is a really perfect time if you're in a season at, towards the beginning of the year where ABM is a main focus where you could have that control group and see how the results stack up at the end of it. So I, I really, really like this one and, and think it's something that, again, not hard to, to implement at all. Right. I completely agree. And I uh, 100% agree with the seventh grade science comment because that was basically my reaction. It's like, oh, yeah, I was taught this a long time ago. And you get so excited to test other things, you forget about those best practices. So another kind of reason to drop that in there. But it's also a great way like that's instant ROI. If you have good outcomes from a test, and you can say, if I didn't do it, this is what it is, because that too can be a lot of what people want to know about a program is what if we just don't do it, like we've got an okay status quo, like you they need to know the risk of inaction. If we don't do it versus doing it, what's the difference? At risk of just asking a dumb question, what when you do, let's say an email campaign, and you're testing those subject lines, how are you thinking of your control groups or splitting up those titles? What percentages of are you sending those different titles to and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a good tactical question. I would do so for an A B test, I try to get up to like, and again, I have a lot of room to play. So I don't know that I would go with this if I had a smaller list. But I try to get the A B test to go to about half of the audience. And then the software we use afterwards sends the winner. I will choose a winner based off of click through rates. Because as much as I want a good open rate, what I actually want them to do is click. Goes right along with everything we've been talking about. Opening is Step one, but clicking is step two and ultimately the more important one. So so that would be like 25% receive type A, 25% receive type B, whoever of that, as long as it's a statistically significant number, gets the remainder. So uh, depending on your software, some software is going to be sophisticated enough to run multivariate tests instead of just one and two. Um, And you could play with that. But I would say, if nothing else, just take your same list, split off probably 15% for a control group. Again, depending on the size of it, just to make sure you have the numbers to keep that statistically significant. Yeah, that's good. I I like going practical there as well. And again, you could do this in any sort of campaign, but 
thinking of the control group, it's it's a good one. It's a it's an obvious, not obvious one. <laughs> so this is a good yeah. yeah, definitely good. Okay, let's take it home. We got one more of these uh creative ways to tie marketing to revenue. What's this fourth one? So this fourth one, uh, the direct quote is from Avi Bhatnagar. He's a VP of growth over at Metallic. And he said to... And this was his advice for someone who wants to break into kind of that VP growth digital demand role is to live and breathe your metrics. And I just see this very much as a summary of those past three that we did, but it turns it and makes it a little bit more holistic. So if you're looking to... Or even if you're the only person who owns growth, so to say, at a marketing at a marketing team, you have to know what these numbers are and you have to be confident in them because that's how you ultimately earn the confidence and kind of that seat at the proverbial table with the other people at your company because they're also being tied to metrics, to numbers, and they need to know that you are held to that same standard. So being able to really say, you know, our what our baseline is, but also what our goals are and what we would expect to have happen and be able to, I mean, I don't want to intimidate people and say, you have to have this off the top of your head at all times, but you kind of do. Like you need to be able to say, we expect to see blah. And you need to be kind of constantly checking on those at a cadence that makes sense so that you are making the adjustments at the appropriate times and the appropriate places of your funnel to really like send people flying down your funnel. Hmm. So to me, it's a dashboard to refer back to. It's time in meetings to go over those numbers that you've committed to. That also kind of keeps it not only top of mind, but you're refreshing the rest of the team. You're practicing how you answer those questions to those that may be over you that are curious. What else should we be doing? Those are great spots to start for sure. I would say as well, you, you, I don't know, I think you nailed it. (laughs) <laughs> wow, I feel so accomplished. And I didn't deliver. But like that, but like that makes sense. Like what's in your dashboards? Is it the right stuff? I liked your point about repeating it to your team, like repeating it, practicing it, because a lot of times, you know, the other half of this is going to be that you need to communicate strategically to the rest of your team. So the questions that might come out of those internal meetings, those internal powwows are going to help you have an even better presentation down the line so that you kind of are able to back yourself up. Um, So I guess kind of from that tactical standpoint, it's those dashboards and it's the meetings and it's the understanding and the, the really like honing in on what it is you need to change. And then the other side is a little bit more strategic, making sure that you've got really good communications and that you can anchor your decision making into the metrics that you're living and breathing. Fantastic. Well, let's go over the four real quick as we start to close. So Find baseline metrics and compare apples to apples. Make friends with marketing ops and admins. Three was measuring a control group as much as a campaign. And four is live and breathe the metrics you're held to. These are great, Ellen. I know there's going to be people that are are listening to this. They want to get in touch and follow what you guys are doing over at Notch. Can you talk a little bit about the work that Notch is doing? And also, you mentioned pros and content. So you might as well tell a little bit more about the show as well. Yeah, for sure. So Notch is a software as a service platform. We address a lot of what we just talked about. So we're helping digital marketers understand what is happening in their entire audience acquisition journey, surfacing what's working, what's not working, and helping you make decisions on that. So 
fine tuning your quickest path to conversion or surfacing content that's really contributing to conversions versus what's just kind of hanging out doing not very much for you. It allows you to be more confident, allows you to make better decisions, everything kind of to fine tune that audience journey and really accelerate growth. So it is very exciting. I've been a fangirl since before I worked here, (laughs) but that is what makes it so fun for me to host Frozen Content. That is our podcast. Like you mentioned, we've just been talking to marketers who are doing the work. So I think I, I hope I mentioned at the top. Maybe not. You did. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, huh, this has been a great in- interview. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you mentioned Frozen Content. And I think that's it's a great way that I mean, you guys have had what like three podcasts i think at one point so you're you're in the podcast game and and seeing success there it's really cool to to watch we are so yeah. for for you ellen you're i've seen you uh and interacted with you on linkedin is that the best place that people can reach out to you personally definitely the best place uh ellen schwartz with the extra e at the end according to google i'm the only one mm. as long as you spell my name correctly so amazing thank you so much for taking time and stopping by the show today thank you benji this has been awesome well i want to say thanks to everyone that has listened to this episode as well and appreciate the fact that people keep coming back and thinking this is a great source for marketing advice and conversations we're doing our best to surface the best content we can for B2B marketers never hesitate to reach out to me personally on linkedin just search benji block And for all things B2B growth, you can visit b2bgrowthshow.com. Remember, commodity content is the enemy. Affinity over awareness. And we're out.